Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you kind of where we are. We're doing a series called Escape Plan. And we're talking about how to escape temptation. Uh, if you were here two weeks ago, uh, you'd remember that Wyatt kicked off our series. Isn't Wyatt looking good? Everybody tell Wyatt he looks good. He looks good tonight. <laughs> um, so uh, as, we're, uh, yeah, as we're starting that series... We have, uh, Wyatt started and he talked, he talked to us, he shared with us about what temptation is. And he talked about how temptation isn't just necessarily like trying to get you to do like an immoral thing, but temptation talks about trying to be tempted to do something wrong morally. It could also tempt you to you know, not live in faith, to deny God, um, to, to, to it make you like question your belief in God. And it can also, there's the area of greed that we're tempted to, to, to go after things that we want, things that we don't have, not to trust God in our lives. So we talked about the first week, or Wyatt talked about, he talked about what temptation is and the fact that we all need a plan. We all need an escape plan from temptation. But then the second week, last week, we talked about dead ends. Remember, we had the maze up here. We talked about how there are certain, as you're trying to escape temptation, certain ways you don't want to go, like the blame game. Uh, Different ways that you can go that that, that are not going to get you out of temptation, but are going to put you further into temptation. But tonight, we're going to end our escape plan series by talking about the escape plan that Jesus left for us. Um, and as you're turning, yeah, hopefully you're there, but if not, I'll give you another minute to turn there to Luke chapter four. I wanna share with you something from my childhood or my teen days. Um, yeah, 90s v- culture and vibes are starting to come back, like people are starting to dress like that, you know, wear the t-shirts again. But there's a, a level, there was a certain level of cringe among Christian merch in the 90s. And, you know, some youth, some youth leaders might may even remember this, um, but I want to just show you some of the cringy Christian merch that came out in the 90s. A lot of it had to do with t-shirts. Um, this, I, and every single one of these, either I had or one of my friends had, okay? Um, the first was, yeah, they made it look like a Reese's yeah, t-shirt, but it said, Jesus, sweet savior, king of kings. That's pretty, pretty cringe. Let's go to the next one. Uh, this, this is really bad. Uh, you know, relish, sweet Jesus. Uh, once again, these were all, I, I've seen people wearing these. Um, the next t-shirt is really bad. It's like supposed to be a, knock, a knockoff like Calvin Klein, but instead it's Christ is the king. <laughs> uh, the next one is pretty bad. Yeah, Jesus is my, my life savior. You get it? And then the next one, I think, is yes. Um, it's supposed to kind of look like Abercrombie and Fitch, but it's, I literally, one of my best friends, Chad, used to wear this shirt all the time. And it, instead of Abercrombie and Fitch, it's a breadcrumb and fish. I guess it's talking about when Jesus fed the 5,000. But the next picture um, that I want to show you is my favorite. I had a friend who was all into bodybuilding. Wyatt needs to get this shirt. Uh, but it's Lord's Gym, and you can see, and it says in like, in like an 80-year-old Baptist woman font right here, bench press this. And it's got Jesus doing like a push-up with the cross. Um, so I bet if some of your youth leaders were honest, they probably had a few of these t-shirts or knew some people that had some of these t-shirts. But the number one item, Christian merch item in the 90s was this. 
It was the WWJD bracelet. How many of you, and this is still around a little bit, how many of you have seen someone with a WWJD bracelet? So the way we were with, yeah, as Christians, instead of wearing like the, you know, the bad bracelets to where like if someone breaks it, it's bad. Like we would tell how spiritual someone is by how many WWJD bracelets. Before there were Visco girls and before all that, there were girls wearing a bunch of WWJD bracelets in the 90s. But I believe they're coming back um, because I, this certain man was spotted um, having one on. Not only has he converted to Christianity, but he's gone all in because he's wearing the WWJD bracelet. So we'll leave that picture up for a little while so you can all, you can all look at Kanye for a couple minutes. Um, but as we're, uh, as we're getting into this series, uh, anybody know what WWJD on the bracelet stood for? Just say it if you know. What would Jesus do? And what that kind of turned into was your people were trying to think, well, in this particular situation, like, what would Jesus do? Like, if Jesus was at a party and, you know, and, and people were trying to get him to do things he shouldn't, what would Jesus do? It also turned into people could kind of use it, like, judgmentally or legalistically. Um, one time, I was really ticked off at school um, because I walked around a corner, you know, there, there's a guy that... It's amazing what happens in Christian schools, by the way. I walk around the corner, there's a guy that kind of had a beef with me. So he went and he just cold cocked me right in the hallway. So I was you know, getting ready and getting the position ready to return the favor. And my teacher came up behind me and stopped me. And he said, Matt, what would Jesus do? And I made the mistake of telling him, what I thought Jesus would do in that scenario, which probably wasn't what Jesus would do in that scenario. But people started kind of using it almost as a judgmental thing. Like, you know, like, like all Jordan, you think Jesus would be doing that? You know, you think Jesus would be watching that show you watch? Yeah, it, it started to turn into a judgment. I mean, I don't know what Jordan watches. That's his own business. But it started to turn, in, <laughs> it started to turn into a judgmental thing. And, it's, and then the next thing people started doing was, well, since Jesus hung out with like publicans and sinners and prostitutes, even though this guy's bad news and he slept with like every lady on the cheerleading squad, I think I'll go out with him. Because Jesus was a friend of sinners, so I'll be a girlfriend of sinners. Yeah, and, and people started rationalizing not what Jesus did, but what they thought Jesus would do. So tonight, as we look into Luke chapter 4, and we talk about temptation, the better question to ask is, what did Jesus do? And what I hope we learn tonight is what Drew just put up on the screen, that when we're drowning in our trials and drowning in our temptations, we can remember what Jesus did. So turn to Luke chapter 4, and the words are going to be on the screen here. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to read this passage. And just to kind of set it up, um, Jesus was Jesus, right? He was God in a bod. You know, the, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus was God coming to live on earth in human form. Jesus in Luke chapter 2, you know, it's the cute baby Jesus passage that we read at Christmas. You know, Jesus was born. He was a baby, cute. Uh, Luke chapter 3, or end of Luke chapter 2, talks about how Jesus grew up. It says he grew up in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Luke chapter 3, it talks about how Jesus' parents accidentally left him at the temple. Like, you know, you're the, you're the parents of the Son of God, like you had one job, you lost him. Um, but Jesus was, was, was telling people about the Bible, and he was explaining the Bible to scholars of the Bible. And then we find at the end of Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And it says that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, 
And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter four. So let's read along. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, right, he's a grown man now, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, he was baptized, returned from the Jordan, that was the river where he was baptized, and led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And there's that word tempted, it's that same word that we've been looking at throughout the Bible, to be tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. This is maybe one of the most understated verses of the Bible. It says, and when they were ended, he was hungry. How many of y'all are hungry right now? And you're picturing food in your mind. You're that hungry, right? What are you picturing in your mind? Just say it. Make us all hungry. Just say it. Just say it. A big juicy steak. Steak. Mm. Pizza rolls. Texas. Mm. Yeah, it's starting to sound like our not so traditional Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so Jesus prayed and fasted, meaning he ate nothing for 40 days. And then it says, and he was hungry. You think? He was hungry. And it says, and when the days were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, this is verse three, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. So Satan is tempting Jesus. And he says, hey, if you're really the son of God, I happen to have this bread pillow in my office, so I thought I'd just bring it. Um, if you're the son of God, turn th- these stones in this wilderness into bread. I put up, a, and I, you'll see it here in a minute. Don't put it up there yet, Drew. But I put up a picture of this, these wonderful hot rolls with butter just oozing down. I mean, enough butter. You just look at it and you're, you, you, you have like plaque in your arteries. Like it's that, that good. And can you imagine after not eating for 40 days, how tempting it would be if you had the power to turn stones into bread and just eat right there. But Jesus responds, Jesus responds by saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus shuts the devil down, Satan down with scripture. And then in verse number five, it says, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I'll give all this authority and all their glory for it's been delivered to me and I'll give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you will serve. So Satan took Jesus, it says, to, to, to high heights where he could see all the kingdoms of the world. I don't know if they went up to outer space or whatever, you know, uh, up to like a layer of the stratosphere to where they could see the, the, the known, settled, civilized world. But Satan said, you know, all these kingdoms are under my sway and my power. If you worship me, I'll just go ahead and give them to you. But what did Jesus do? He responded with scripture and he said, you, you shall only worship the Lord your God. So he shut him down again. Then in verse eight, it says, he took him, Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Jump off this high height for it is written. Now Satan's trying to, Satan's trying to twist scripture while tempting Jesus, he says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on your hands they will bear you up lest you strike a foot, your foot against the stone. So Satan is saying, hey Jesus, remember, the Bible says that the the one who's gonna be the son of God, angels will catch him and angels will protect him. So if you're really the son of God, jump off this building and see if it happens, prove it. What did Jesus say? Jesus answered in verse 12, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So we see Satan coming at Jesus three different times over the course of those 40 days. And each of those times, Jesus succeeds in not giving in to temptation. So what we have here is a plan set up by Jesus. So we're gonna dig into the plan a little bit more and we're gonna see, you know, that the whole point of this is what did Jesus do? We're gonna look and see what Jesus did. The first thing Jesus did is he left us an example on how to endure temptation. You know, when Wyatt started this series, he talked about how there are three different Three different, they're, they're the rolls, by the way. You know, you get salivating. You see those buttery rolls? They look so good. Um, Wyatt left us w- w- with a helpful understanding of the three different kinds of temptation. There's temptation to do morally wrong. You know, cheating on a test. You know, looking at porn on your phone. Doing something morally wrong. There's the test or the temptation of, of your faith that tests your faith. And then there's the temptation to, to, to go after what you want. If you see it, do it. If you see it, get it. And all three of those kinds of temptations that Wyatt talked about are on display here in Satan's temptation of Jesus. Think about the first one. It talks about that he was tempted to turn rocks into bread. And we don't, we, we've never been tempted to turn rocks into bread, but we've been faced with the same kind of temptation. We're tempted to find fulfillment for our needs in places other than God, right? We find temptation to fulfill our needs in places other than God and things that glorify God. Yeah, an example might be that you, you feel very lonely. And because you feel very lonely, you decide, I'm going to fix my loneliness problem instead of going to God's word uh, I'm in find, you know, finding the right kind of friends, having the right kind of relationships. I'm going to fix my loneliness problem by hanging out with people that don't honor God, hanging out with people that have very unhealthy and bad spiritual habits. And even though they may drag me down, it will fix my loneliness. Some people try to fill that loneliness with drugs. Some people try to fill that loneliness with like a pornography addiction. And what we see here is Jesus who was in a weakened state. Have you ever, you know what it means to be in a weakened state? To be so, it's not always to be hungry. You ever feel so beaten down by things in your life? Like, you, you go to school and you feel beaten down by the, you know, by, by not the teachers, but by the academics and by the workload. You go home and you, sometimes you feel beaten down at home. You know, you're among your friends and you feel like you're, you're like the bottom of all, you know, the, the, at the bottom rung of your friends. And you feel almost sometimes even beaten down by your friends and you just feel so weak. And something bad happens in your life or something terrible happens. You, you, you lose somebody that you love and you feel so bad and so weak. You notice that Jesus was tempted in a weakened state. He was God in a bod, but his bod was weak. And Satan went at him in a weakened state. Look at the next temptation that Jesus faced. It was the temptation um, to, uh, Satan said, if you worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came to die for our sins so that he could be exalted, so that he would be exalted and he would reign over all the earth. You know, one day Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna reign over all the earth, but you see how Satan tempted him? He tempted him by offering to give him the same thing that Jesus would have to die on the cross for. The temptation was to get what you want or what you think you want by avoiding suffering and trials. 
And how often are we tempted to, to, to avoid suffering and to avoid trials and to avoid hardships to get what we want instead of getting it God's way? You know, the temptation for some people would maybe be because you really wanna be in a relationship with someone that instead of following God's plan for a relationship, which has to do, you know, he, he laid it out in Genesis chapter two, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Our world has reverse engineered it, right? To where people start by becoming one flesh and then maybe if it works out, they get married. And people, sometimes it, it's, it's, it's tempting for people to go around God's way for relationships instead of trusting him and we see that temptation here with Jesus. What, do you think Jesus would have liked to avoid the suffering of the cross? Can you imagine being nailed to a cross? Can you imagine being separated? Jesus, for the first time ever, separated from God the Father, going through all that agony? But he did, because what happened? It, it, it was not just growth for him, it was growth for us. So we, sometimes we rush God's timing or we're tempted to rush God's timing. The final temptation that Jesus faced, it's in, um, it's, it starts in verse chapter nine. It was jumping off of the building. And it, I, I would say, you know, the, the way I kind of classified it is it's like a temptation to control God instead of letting God control you. Satan twists a verse in scripture and we'll talk about how he twists it here in a minute. He twists a verse in scripture and say, oh look, Jesus, look, the Bible says that if you jump off this building, angels will catch you. Hey, prove you're the son of God. Jump off the building. I want to see the angels catch, catch you. And Jesus says, wait, the Bible says you're not to put the Lord to a test. And how often do we try to engineer circumstances in our life to control God? I wrote it, I, I kind of wrote it down like this. Um, instead of giving a, a situation to God, we worry about it, control it, and do it our way, and then expect God to bless it. And I find myself doing that a lot in my life. But what is Jesus' response to all three of these command, or all three of these temptations? Who can tell me what Jesus' response was when he was tempted? What did Jesus go to? Where did he go? What did he say? Did he? He quoted scripture. Very good, Gabe. He quoted scripture. Yeah. Did Jesus try to reason with him? Did he try to get philosophical and say, well, you know, according to the ontological argument of, uh, yeah, of, 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 or the presuppositional argument of apologetics, you know, I don't have to do that because, was he trying to get into, did he, did he try to get into an, ar yeah, an argument over whether or not Satan mis you know, misinterpreted the scripture that he read? No, he just put scripture in, in Satan's face. What, other, what else did Jesus do? It says he was full of the Spirit. Jesus left us a plan to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to live every day for God, and to know God's Word. So Jesus left us a plan. Most of the temptations that we face in our life, we'll talk about this here in a minute, if we knew our Bible and we memorized our Bible, wouldn't be as tempting as they are right now to us. So Jesus left an example, and really, when I was growing up in Sunday school, and maybe it's just the way I understood it, that was the end of the lesson. That was always like, so read your Bible, don't screw up, good luck. And you know what I did? I read my Bible, and I screwed up. Because that, this passage does give us an outline for how we can resist temptation and resist the devil, but there's more to what God is telling us in this chapter than just know your Bible and don't screw up. 
in this chapter is good news for people who screw up. In this chapter is good news for people who fall into temptation and fall into sin. Let's look at the second thing that Jesus did. Jesus passed the test we couldn't. How many of you, it's like PTSD, that picture up there. You know, like, isn't, isn't it a shame? It seems like your whole future is depending on how well you fill in bubbles. Like, isn't there something wrong with that? Like, like there's something like, like, like morally and ethically wrong with the fact that your whole future depends on how well you fill in bubbles. But, but have you ever, have you ever got a, anybody ever taken a big test and got a perfect score? So hard to do, isn't it? Take a big test and got a perfect score. I had one teacher who I just couldn't stand. She always said there's no such thing as a perfect test. She would find something to take off so you'd get a 99, even if you got everything right. Like if you were just a little outside one of the bubbles, she'd take a point off for that. Because there's no such thing as a perfect score. <laughs> well, why don't you look there, you know, Mrs., you know, I'm not going to say her name, but why don't you look at a, you know, you, Luke chapter 4. You're going to see a perfect score because Jesus aced the test. So if we're honest, how many of us, don't, don't say it out loud, how many of us has, have always made the right moral decision? Zero. If we're honest, how many of us have never struggled with our faith and with doubt and with unbelief? No one. If we're honest, how many of us have never acted in like a self-serving, greedy way? None of us. But look at what Jesus did. Every time he was tempted, he did the right thing. He passed the test. You know, most scholars believe, and if you read, this is in three different um, books of the Bible, this account, this story. It's in Matthew chapter four, it's in Mark chapter one, and it's in Luke chapter four. And if you piece all them together, the different, the, you know, the, the different accounts, what you realize is that Jesus wasn't just tempted three times. These three times are excerpts, so they're representatives of during the, that period of 40 days, he was tempted over and over and over and over again by Satan. You know, every once in a while, I can ace a test, but not every time. Jesus was tempted over and over and over and over again. In, in verse 13, look at it, you might want to circle it. It says, when the devil had e ended every temptation... So Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. When the devil had tempted every temptation, Jesus emerged with a perfect score. We go back to Genesis 3, and we remember the first test was given to Adam and Eve, and did they get a perfect score? They literally bombed the first test. Like, like the first bubble, you know? <laughs> and, and they had the answers. <laughs> and they filled in the wrong bubble, right? But look at the differences between Jesus and Adam. Look at the differences, it's really interesting. Adam was tempted under the most favorable circumstances ever. He was in paradise, he was in a garden, he, he had the perfect soulmate who was created for him. He had, didn't have to work, he could enjoy the tasks that God gave him. He had a physical, like, like an in-person relationship with God and he bombed the test, but look at Jesus. Jesus was under the most unfavorable circumstances. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. He was in a desolate wilderness, even more desolate than Salt Rock. He was in a desolate, a desolate wilderness. I'm just joking for you Salt Rock people. He was in a desolate wilderness. He had nobody to, to lean on. He had nobody to depend on. And he aced the test. They were both tempted by Satan, but Jesus passed the test. I don't have time to turn to each of these, but Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that Jesus was tested, yet did not sin. Hebrews chapter 7 says that Jesus was innocent, unstained, and separated from sinners. 
First Peter 1.14 says that Jesus was like a lamb without blemish or like spot. And First Peter 2.22, it says that Jesus committed no sin. Jesus passed every test on earth. And the final exam, how many of y'all have ever had to take a final? How many of y'all have ever had to take a final? I believe they're like the spawn of Satan. But Jesus' final exam began in a garden called Gethsemane when he knew his hour had come and he was so anxious about dying on the cross that he, 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 he sweat drops of blood to when he was taken and beaten, unjustly accused, unjustly convicted, nailed to a cross. And when he was pulling himself up and breathing his last breath, he said, it is finished. And he filled in the final bubble. And he passed the test. He lived a perfect life. And why is that so important? I want to show you this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says that God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin. I think I have the verse on the screen there, Drew. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Here's what's so important is that when Jesus hung on the cross, because he was perfect, he could die for our sins. He had to be God. Jesus was God because only God can defeat sin, hell, and the grave. He had to be a human because only a human can pay for the sins of another human. But he had to be perfect because only a perfect person can pay for the sins of someone else. I'd love to die for Mikey's sins, but I got sins of my own, right? I got sins of my own. I'd love to die for each of your all sins and take your place, but I got sins of my own. But because Jesus was perfect, because he was innocent, because he passed the test in Luke chapter four, he dies in our place. So when we bomb, when we fail, when we give in to temptation, even though maybe we feel bad about it, we have grace and we have forgiveness because the temptation that we failed under, the sin that we committed was paid for by Jesus on the cross Jesus passed the test that we couldn't. And the Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, when we believe that he died for our sins on the cross, that his goodness, that his perfect score is transferred to us. But here's the third thing. We talked about what Jesus did. Jesus set an example. Jesus passed the test and died in our place. But where is Jesus now? What is he doing now? He understands us and he helped us. Drew, if you'll bring that slide up, please. He understands us, and he helps us. What's he doing now? He understands us, and he helped us. I want you to, if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter two, and I wanna show you something that's really incredible. Remember, we've established that Jesus was tempted, right? Jesus was tempted. He faced temptation. Look at Hebrews chapter two, verse number 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He became a man so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest to the service of God to make propitiation for our sins. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Do you see that? There, it's on the screen. Because Jesus was tempted, he's able to help people who were tempted. And if you go down just a chapter over, say, yeah, you know, maybe a page over in your Bible to chapter four, verse 15, it says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, yet did not sin. So do you see that the, because Jesus was tempted, because he passed the test, because he died on the cross in our place, he can help us and he can understand us. 
You know, I have friends who sometimes want to help. We had a hard day today. We had to put down our dog. It was really sad, you know, and uh, we have great friends who want to help us. But sometimes, have you ever felt the frustration of, you know, your friend is going through some stuff. You know, your friends had a terrible thing, but you just don't know how to help them. You want to help them. You can, you're like, anything I can do, I'd love to do it for you, for you, but you just don't know how to help them. Yeah, I used to, when I started as a youth pastor, it was really wild, like within two weeks of me being a youth pastor, three people in our youth group lost their grandparents. Like the grandparents passed away. I'd never had a grandparent passed away and I felt so helpless because I didn't know how to help these people. I didn't know how they felt. But then something happened. Shortly after I became a youth pastor, my, grand, my granddad passed away. The first grandparent I'd ever had that passed away. And now when there's a teenager in our youth group or there's someone I know that lost a grandparent, I know how that feels. Like I know what it's like to kind of have that like hole in your life. And it helps me to help people because I know how it feels. Does that make, does that make sense? Jesus, because he's tempted, knows how we feel and knows how to help us. And because he's God and because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he can help us when we're tempted. How does he do that? Well, first it says in verse uh, 17 of chapter two, he's our high priest. That means he's our representative. I have the picture up there of the captain sleeve that soccer players wear. Football players, they got like the C on their shirt. You know, Tom Brady, we all hate him. He's got the C on his shirt, right? Who here is Brady hater like me? Okay, there we go. All right, um, he's got the C on his shirt because he's a captain. What do the captains do? They go out to the coin toss, right? And they say heads or tails. They represent the team at the coin toss. Jesus, and actually in the Bible, in Hebrews, it talks about how he's the captain of our salvation. He represents us to God. So when we don't pass the test and when we fail, Jesus says, they're mine. I pay for their sins. I know how they feel. Father, give them grace. Jesus understands and helps us because he's, he's our high priest. It says that he's in us with our weakness. This verse really meant a lot to me. I'm gonna put it on the screen because somebody probably here tonight needs to see it. It's Psalm chapter 10, verse 17. It says, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Don't answer it out loud, but when's the last time you cried? When's the last time you were in the depths of despair? You know who heard you? You know who heard you? God heard you. Jesus heard you from his throne and he sympathizes with you. And the final thing, it makes it possible uh, to to, for us to draw close with God, to, to God through his grace. Verse 16 of Hebrews 4, it says, let us then, because of Jesus being our high priest, being tempted, draw near to the throne of God with confidence to find grace and mercy to help in the time of need. God can help us as we struggle with temptation. It's not just about what would Jesus do, it's about what he did. He left us an example on how to beat temptation. When we don't beat temptation, he beat temptation for us. He beat sin for us. And what's he doing now? He is helping those of us who struggle and he gives us grace. I had a terrible day today. I didn't think, I, I almost like just decided not to come to, I mean, I can't just decide not to come with you, Pastor. But I almost called, yeah, called somebody and say, hey, can you do the lesson for me? Because I've never, I, I, I've only had one dog my whole life. I never had to put a dog, it's just, it was just sad. I felt terrible. God gave me a special grace because I was struggling. I was dealing with a trial because I knew God had a message for me to give, but I didn't think I had it in me. I was tempted to give in to what I wanted to do instead of what God wanted to do. He gave me grace to get me here, to, not to try to sound like a girly man, but not to cry at all tonight and to give you the word tonight.
So remember this one more time when drowning in trials and temptations, remember what Jesus did. But you know, I have to give you a couple words to, to, to leave on. So I've got some R words tonight. I really thought it'd be good to end this series with F words, but I just don't have them. The first R word is read the Bible. Like literally, pick this up and read the Bible. Did you notice that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with the Bible? You know what's sad is that there are probably a lot of that Satan is probably more well versed in the Bible than a lot of Christians, and we wonder why we fall to temptation all the time. You got to read this book. You got to know this book. Jesus in his, obviously he wrote it, but Jesus in his knowledge of scripture was how he defended himself against Satan's attack. The next is remember what you read in God's word. Let me make this real practical. Memorize, I started doing this, memorize one verse a day. Find the short ones if you need to. Start with John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Memorize it. I don't have my phone with me. Make a verse the lock screen of your phone. Tell Siri to remind you of a verse. I wonder if I could just shout it and make it, make it, make everybody's Hey Siri come on and make you, Hey Siri, remind me to study the Bible at nine o'clock tonight. I don't know if it worked. Okay, Uh, it doesn't know my voice. My Siri hears my voice. Um, The next one, run to God in your weakness. This verse in Hebrews is a promise. It says that because Jesus was tempted the way we are and he sympathizes us, that we can draw close to God and find grace in the time of need. If you're going through stuff, you're like me, you're going through stuff, you're having a rough time of things, we have this promise that if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. God's grace, I'm not trying to make it sound too cliche, but it's the truth. God's grace is literally one prayer away. And if you need it in your life, you know where to go. In moments of weakness, run to God's grace. The final one, reach out to others for help. It's not in Luke chapter four, but it's in Matthew chapter four. At the end of this account, when it says Satan left Jesus, and it says the angels came to him and ministered to him. Jesus was God, God in a body, God in the flesh. And he needed to be ministered to after temptation. Jesus had angels ministering to him. Who's ministering to you? You know, some of the temptations that we deal with, we shouldn't have to deal with those alone. Maybe you need to reach out to somebody that's in your tag, somebody that brought you here, somebody who milked you tonight, uh, <laughs> and say, hey, I'm really having a hard time with this. Man, I'm really going through some stuff in my life. Maybe you need to reach out to your, your, one of your youth leaders where you can always reach out to me. I'm gonna put my, I'll put, go ahead and put it up here. I, got my, I always put my number on the screen as the last slide in case you ever need someone to pray for you, you need someone to give you some advice, or you just, need, you just need to vent, you just need to share with somebody what's going on in your life. Nobody should be alone. If Jesus wasn't to be alone, you definitely shouldn't be alone. So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Um, God, thank you for the fact that we can know what Jesus did. We don't have to hypothesize. We don't have to like play it out in our head how Jesus would respond to particular situations because we can see in your word how he responded to every temptation. And God, I pray that as we have, there are some practical things that we learn from this about working your word in and out of our lives. Oh God, that we won't forget that it does not just depend on us. Um, but that Jesus blazed the trail before us and he can help us and he's there for us even when we don't do what's right and even when we give in. God, thank you for how merciful and how loving and how gracious you are. 
And thank you for the fact that when we stand before you, those of us who believe in you, you don't see our failures, but you see your son Jesus' perfect score. Um, God, I pray that as we leave that you'll keep us safe. Um, God, I pray that you'll give us mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.